all this poverty and all this sh shitty existence, you know, and you're still fasting. Fasting for whom? You're not even a Muslim. You're not even a Muslim. What you're trying to say? You see? <laughs> and he said, you know, and, and I was trying to, I said to him, yeah, I agree with you, but uh, I just can't go beyond the things that I'm, that I, I'm familiar with. It's very difficult. He said, it's not about that. It's about fear. You cannot transcend fear, is it? This is It's Okay to Go Radio, the show questioning the religious beliefs that influence our lives, the challenges we face leaving them behind, and who we become after we leave. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode five of It's Okay to Go Radio. I'm your host, Haley Carl. Today, we're speaking with two very interesting individuals who come from completely different religious backgrounds. The first, uh, Mustafa, a former Muslim from Morocco, and the second is Celia, a former Hasidic Jew from Brooklyn. The three of us got together a few weeks ago to discuss how each of these Abrahamic religions uh, influenced their lives growing up the ways in which they're different and also the ways in which they're very similar and one theme that came up particularly in this episode is uh, the feeling of fear whether it's a fear of God or the fear of this community surrounding you especially when it comes to leaving that religion behind so without further ado let's get to it our conversation with Mustafa and Celia Well, thank you for joining me, guys. I've got Mustafa and I've got Celia here today. Uh, Celia is a former Hasidic and Mustafa, former Muslim. Can you yeah, use that that's title? Right. All right, excellent. Uh, so I just want to start with a little background, you guys. Mustafa, tell me a little bit about where you're from and uh, your background in the Muslim community. All right, thank you very much, Haley, for <laughs> having us here. Um, I'm from Morocco. This is my first year and a half in, in the United States of America as a permanent resident. I come from a Muslim background. All right, so um, I, I'm from Morocco, from uh, a place called Agadir, the suburbs of Agadir in the mountains. So um, I'm a Berber, and Berbers are the natives of Morocco, so completely different um, uh, culture and language. Are a lot of Berbers Muslim, or are they are they raised Muslim? Um, the, the, in in the past, Berbers uh, had different religions, including um, um, uh, Judaism and uh, and then Christianity. And Saint Augustine is a Berber. Berbers are, are the people, the indigenous people of North Af North Africa, from the the Atlantic Ocean to um, to the borders between Libya and and Egypt. So when Islam. Uh, took over, um, things changed, but um, uh, but let's, Islam in Morocco, and this is a very interesting point, Islam in Morocco was very much influenced by the Berber culture. That's why if you go to Morocco, you'll find a different Islam, a, diff a different version of Islam than in, in the Middle East, let's say, in Saudi Arabia or Iran. or So culture here plays, uh, influences the religion. I grew up in a uh, in a Muslim country, let's say, Berber Muslim country. With time, I learned Arabic, and with Arabic comes, comes Islam. So um, the, the basic of uh, Moroccan education is Islamic education as a whole. Islamic history, uh, Quran, and 
those things. So as a Berber, as, as any, in any religion, I, I see Islam as the center of the world. So therefore, we see ourselves as the center of the world. I say the, the world by the lenses or lenses of, of Islam. Did you enjoy growing up in that type of culture? Did you get any sort of joy from it? Or was it just something that, was, that came with the Arabic that you had to learn? I just enjoyed it. I'm in the mountain, I found myself in the mountains, so we go to the river and we swim, we had a lot of fun. But with time, with time you start to grow uh, kind of, um, you start to be aware of lots of things. The first interesting step in my life is that when I, when I succeeded in the secondary school, then comes the high school. So to go to high school in my, in my region, you have to travel to another city, so to live in a boarding school. That's a, a different experience. For example, there's this absence of women <laughs> as a whole in, in, my, in, my, in my region. So many women are kept inside the homes. But when I went to uh, high school, that's different. I see girls with no veil at all. All right, I see, I, I, you can talk to girls. Me living in my home is, is a very interesting experience. But Still, I refer to myself as a Muslim. Here you have uh, a boy who who's very much influenced by by different mentalities and different, you know, who lives in a kind of mosaic atmosphere. Mm -hmm. All right. So uh, we were introduced to philosophy. Oh. Yeah, that's the first time we were, and this is very interesting too. We only had two hours. I had a crazy philosophical uh, philosoph philosophy teacher. So he's the one who influenced me to. A great extent. He's a, a Sufi. He's, he's a he's a Sufi, but Sufism is is also interesting in Islam. It's they don't have the same definition of Islam. They don't have the same philosophical thinking of Sufism. They say that everything is God and and so on and so forth. So anyway, um, when uh, one day I noticed my my teacher inside the school, and I I hide like this behind the the back window and, and I tried to, to see what he's going, what he's doing. So he wrote uh, Plato, <laughs> he wrote Plato on the board and he, he's, he's screaming, he's, he, he was having a kind of a, a different talk with him. He's asking him, what do you want from me? Who the hell are you? What do you want? Is he, he's talking to Plato, you know. So anyway, he was, was he a, doing this for a classroom or was he no, just no, doing no. this Be in his room? Before the classes began, he was just like, you know, just he, getting into character or was he? Like, yeah. I don't know. He <laughs> tries to do things. I don't know. But he's a great teacher. He's a mm -hmm. great teacher. When he he takes you in a trip where you have never been. He, he uses rhetoric. He knows how to use rhetoric. But <laughs> we had also Islamic Islamic um, Islamic studies. In, uh, in other other course, Islamic other classes of Islamic studies, the problem is that <laughs> the the teacher of Islamic studies is cursing the teacher of philosophy. <laughs> you see, so here because sometimes students come to the Islamic teacher, Islamic studies teacher, and they ask him, "Oh, our teacher of philosophy said that." I think, therefore, I am. Who's this I that says I? You see, and all the, these. <laughs> Philosophical questions. He said, "You see, philosophy will lead you to kufr. Philosophy will lead you to leave leave Islam." And he was right. <laughs> <laughs> he was right anyway. So, by the way, I have to say something very important here. And uh, when I was when I was um, in high school, I was also introduced to English. 
and that's very interesting. Uh, I've been introduced to the musicality of English. Imagine uh, me being... I've never heard anyone <laughs> refer to the musicality of English. Maybe. It seems like the dullest. Maybe, maybe, no, maybe because, because um, this will uh, uh, push me to study, um, to study English as a, as a, a specialty, uh, to, to specialize in English. I'm not, you know, English is very limited, but uh, in Morocco it's <laughs> That's something... That's pretty good. Uh, so anyway... <laughs> In, uh, in in at the university, I had an incident uh, one day. Uh, I was talking. I was talking uh, my my mother tongue. It's very different. For, uh, just to show you how different uh, my mother tongue is, uh, Berber Amazigh is uh, is uh, for example uh, Arabs. They say Salamu alaikum, meaning hello, Salamu alaikum. But in in uh, in Tamazight, it's um, it's Azul Azul. And yeah, it's azul. Shukran uh, is thank you in 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 Arabic, but in 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 Berber it's tanimirt, tanimirt. So just to show you how it's completely how, different, yeah, the, <laughs> how it is different. So anyway, one day I was was speaking in my mother tongue, and I have this spirited guy saying to me, "Speak Arabic in in a way that is not polite." You see, it's a kind of he's saying God wants you to speak Arabic. You understand so I didn't like it okay I didn't uh, react because you know it's you may have problems with with them you have from time to time these Amazon militants being uh, jailed and sometimes uh, executed by the Islamic uh, student union and sometimes by the government itself so the students would actually go and and like commit executions or things like that yeah, the, the student the, union uh, university. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Wow, that's scary. This yeah, it's very scary. Uh, we call them Islamists. You have to understand that th there's a difference between Islamist and Muslim. A Muslim is can be a regular Muslim, <clears throat> like my mother, like any anybody else. Okay, but Islamist is the one who uses Islam, okay, to reach a goal like power, political goal, and this is what what's going on in, at the university you see so anyway I sympathize with the with the with the Marxists and the Marxists most of them are atheists we have we have so many atheists in Morocco we have so many um, uh, uh, people who don't refer to themselves as, as Muslims but you know because of the dominant ideology you cannot go beyond the dominant ideology the dominant ideology focuses on Islam so Morocco is an Islamic country, but we have so many because there is no there is no freedom, so that's why those people cannot voice out their even in here they cannot even have their their the, the discussion that, that I'm, I'm having with you. I have so many friends who here who don't who no longer refer you to you mean them. in here in America in America yeah so many Moroccans who no longer um, refer to themselves as Muslims, but they can't if you invite them to to talk like this they do they won't. Mm. You see, because there is no freedom. They're afraid when they go back, maybe, you know, something. At what point did you, because you said you sympathize with the Marxists. Yeah. At what point did you feel comfortable saying, referring to yourself as that you were no longer a Muslim? At what point? Mm -hmm. the, the point when I went to Fez. It is known as the city of knowledge. It's, it's a very illuminating atmosphere. And it's not only this. I also used to live with um, with with a student in our master's program who is P 
purely atheist. I haven't said yet that I am an ex-Muslim at that, at that point. And we lived in poverty, even in Fez. You know, we lived with a bit of money, just scholarship, and there's not enough to... So this pushes you to, to, to ask questions. Why is this? Why, you know, why is this happening? Why? And you have discussions with other poor students and so on. But this atheist, Ramadan, you know Ramadan? Mm -hmm. I have never prayed, but I, I feel that there is this religious power still, you know, haunting you. You are still haunted with this religious power. And when Ramadan came, the first day of Ramadan, he started to eat. It was a su a Sunday, yeah. It was a Sunday. So he started to eat, and I was fasting. And he, <laughs> he, was, he was laughing at me. He said, all this poverty and all this sh shitty existence, you know, and you're still fasting? Fasting for whom? You're not even a Muslim. You're not even a Muslim. What you're trying to say? You see? <laughs> and he said, you know what? And, and I was trying to, I said to him, yeah, I agree with you, but uh, I just can't go beyond the things that I'm, that I, I'm familiar with. It's very difficult. He said, it's not about that. It's about fear. You cannot transcend fear. You see? So I fasted that Ramadan. But later on, I had these discussions. I'm just with myself. Why am I calcul calculating? Why I have this kind of calculation with God? Calculated relationship with God. Oh, you didn't pray. You prayed. You, uh, you know, hell, paradise. What? What? What's all this? Why? Why there's this calculation? God created me, and why? Why am? Why engaging all these calculations with him or with her or with it? Ramadan came and I, I, I stopped, you know, I said, okay, I will stop all this, all this, you know, theatrical performance, I will stop it. And if he wants, if, even if I'm wrong and if he wants to throw me to, 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 to hell, let, let, let it be, okay? Just let it be, I don't care. So when Ramadan came, I, uh, I had my breakfast. What'd you have? Uh, <laughs> tea and, uh, you know, cheese and uh, olive oil. Moroccan uh, Berber uh, breakfast. Mm -hmm. So my mother, if you are sick, you are allowed in, in, in Islam, if you are sick, you, you are allowed to, um, to eat. But you have to replace it when Ramadan is over. And if you, if you just do it by being heretic, or in, if you don't, if you, you just willingly do do that, you have to to um, to fast two two months, okay? That's that's what Islam says. So my mother was shocked a little bit. What what are you doing? You're not fasting? And I said, okay, my mother, I can't I can't fast. I'm so sorry. She said, okay, my son, if you can't fast, you just can eat. You see, that's what she said. And that's it. That was it. Uh, but I had these confrontations with the, with my uh, with my friends, and I lost so many friends. Mm. You know, the uh, that's that's fine because for me, I say okay, I've given them, I sacrificed my time with them, and and then they changed me, they changed the whole thing just because I had you know I changed an idea or an opinion or something. So they don't worth it in in the first place. It was very interesting for me to you know, to end up the relationship because of that. So Celia, tell me a little bit about your background, where you grew up. Um, and... So I grew up 
Hasidic in um, an area of Brooklyn called Borough Park. Um, and most people, you know, you tell them you live in New York City and they think, you know, wow, they're so impressed. They probably think you lived in, you know, Manhattan and one of the big skyscrapers and you, you know, got to go to all these museums and this, you know, the restaurants and the places and the things and the people. Um, but the truth of the matter is, is that there's a small area in Brooklyn in New York City where mm -hmm. people live completely isolated lives and they're not in contact with the outside world whatsoever. They're completely self-sufficient. They have their own places where they buy food, the kosher food. They have, you know, their own places where they go, you know, to um, sort of hang out or whatever it is they don't really hang out so much there are no bars there's no that kind of culture doesn't exist with them mm -hmm. um you know there's no interaction between the sexes until you know it's time to get married and then they're arranged um marriages and then they only interact you know with their husbands and their families and, and their kids you know it's very much like women are kept at home but it's almost not like someone went out and said oh women should stay at home but they're sort of there because you know, what they do say is that women should have as many children as possible, you know, especially after the Holocaust, people have this view of like, oh, they have to start having tons and tons of kids to, you know, replenish the stock or whatever. So, I mean, these people are having so many children and I don't think half of them even, you know, even ever thought about what it means to be a parent or whether they want to be a parent or what, what that'll mean for their personal lives. So they just go out there, they're set up in arranged marriages where they, they have no idea, you know, they don't know the first thing about building a healthy relationship, about what a relationship even should be or is, you know, they can't relate to this person they're married to because they've never been allowed to talk to people of the opposite gender, they have nothing in common, they're just, you know, stuck together like that and they're supposed to build their lives, you know, and so... Do you feel like that happened with your parents at all? Was that kind of the... Well, uh, yeah, I do think so. I, I mean, personally, I don't believe either of my parents were meant to be parents. Um, and I felt like it was sort of almost, they had nothing else because, you know, they don't, they weren't allowed to go to college. They weren't allowed to form hobbies. They weren't allowed to have access to culture. So they have nothing in their lives. You know, they finish school, like high school and what else do they have? They have, they have nothing, you know, maybe their job is a secretary or something, but you know, they have nothing. And so to give their lives meaning and make them something, they have, you know, my, I think my mom for her, it was having children. And she's like, now I'm officially a mom. They have this view that the child almost exists in this world, you know, to sort of be something for you to do almost, mm -hmm. you know, and then they have like their 12 kids and the first five have to take care of the younger siblings because, you know, um, training for the future when they get older, you know, they're all, they'll have their, their 12 kids or whatever it is. Um, what I found very interesting in what you mentioned um, is that in Morocco, it's almost worse to say that you're a Christian and to say you're an atheist because you're introducing a new religion. Um, and I find in, in, in the community I grew up in, Hasidic community, um, of an issue I've ran into is, is people who, unless you go out there and say, I converted to Christianity or Catholicism or Islam or whatever it is, they'll still count you as a Jew, even if you don't count yourself as a Jew. Because they want to say, you know, oh, we have the numbers. And like, I'm an atheist. I'm like, I don't count myself as a Jew. Count me as an atheist. You don't get to count me as a part of your, of your community anymore, you know? Um, but they do. And <clears throat> a lot of times I've noticed a lot of hypocrisy. Well, they'll point to a very smart, you know, um, let's say a very smart scientist who's a Jew and they'll go oh he's a Jew we Jews are smart and then I say well you know that scientist was an atheist not a Jew right and they go no you know he's still a Jew because it says in the Bible if his mom is a Jew I'm like well he doesn't believe in the Bible you know so 
he's not. And so, but then if the same guy were to do something bad, they'd say, you know, oh, he's not a Jew. You know, he sort of cut himself off from the Jews and, and Jewish religion and Jewish God. You know, he's a bad person. He's not one of us. You know, so it's like when they're good, you want to take, when, when an atheist who used to be a Jew or was born to Jewish parents did something good, they want to take responsibility mm-hmm. for it. But if an atheist who's born to Jewish parents or was Jewish does something bad, they're like, oh, you're not one of us. And I'm like, no, you know, if I do anything good, it's, you know, credit to the atheist community because I'm one of them. And if I do something bad, you know, no one can point at me and say, Jew, do something bad because I'm not Jewish, you know. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to children, I find very often like they would rather like tell the child that I'm a goy or a non-Jew than tell them that I'm a Jew because then the child will get this idea that you can be a Jew and you know not be religious and what's even more is to not is to say that not only am I like I used to be religious and I'm now I'm not I'm not even looking to become religious or even more religious Mm. and so they wouldn't want like I have cousins I can't go visit them unless I get dressed up in all my long skirts and all my gear because they don't want their children to see that there is a person who could be not religious and then decide to to be religious and then decide not to be religious because they don't want them probably to start thinking about that or thinking about those ideas or asking why. Because, you know, they want their kids to ask questions, but the right questions. You can ask how to serve God. You can't ask if there is a God. Judaism likes to claim, you know, like, oh, we're the right religion, you know, because unlike other religions, we encourage questioning, not blind faith. And that's not the truth. That couldn't be further from the truth because while they encourage questions, they only encourage certain questions and questions up to a certain point. And then once you reach a certain point, you're, you're told, you know, oh, okay, fine, you know, well, what if you go to hell? You know, you should, you know, just to be sure, you should you should do the, the routine. So when did you start asking the wrong type of questions? Pretty young, pretty young. That's, that's what a big problem was. I started asking you know, the wrong kind of questions at around the age of nine. I remember I, I asked, I was sitting in Bible class, and, you know, you ask, you know, what was the name of the guy? Abraham, and where, and when, and how, you know? But for me, I dared to raise my hand and ask the teacher, do we have proof of this nowadays? Like, can we find that X, Y, and Z room? Can we find that X, Y, and Z thing? And how do we know that it was, you know, some kind of miracle and not just a part of history that's been fictionalized? And I remember like getting such like a yelling. She sent me out in the hall. She's like, wait for the principal. You're you're asking like a chutzpah question or like you're insulin. Like, how can you ask something like that? You know, um, and that was when I realized that something was wrong because, you know, that they're the adults. They're telling me how to live my life. They're supposed to know why I'm doing everything. They, you know, tell me why you're making me do this. Um, and so it was kind of like my illusion of, of, of trust with adults was almost shattered because they, they were supposed to be taking care of me and, and doing everything in my best interest. And here they were making me do really uncomfortable things and they didn't even know why they were making me doing them, you know, like do them. Um, did you believe so, that they didn't know why at that point or did you just believe they didn't want to tell you why? At that point, um, honestly, I think I was just frustrated. I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know if they're just not telling me or if they themselves didn't know. But either way, I, was, I thought to myself, I remember thinking, if I'm going to be doing all the things that I'm doing, if I'm going to be keeping all these laws and these rules and these regulations, I need to know why. So at that point, somebody um, saw that, I mean, the people I was living with, they saw like that, you know, okay, she's, she wants, to, we need to give her more wiggle room, more freedom, maybe then, you know, she'll stop or something like that. So they were like, okay, we're going to send you to a more modern school. You're going to go live somewhere else and you'll go to a more modern school. 
more modern my ass. <laughs> it was not modern meaning secular. And I remember at one point I was in school and the community has these ideas about marriage and divorce where like if your parents are divorced it's like taboo and so the people in the class were like their parents said oh we don't want this kid in our in our child's class because their parents are divorced you know and it, somehow I don't know it might rub off on them somehow I don't know. <laughs> so so they were like we, we're gonna put you down a grade and I refused. I said listen you either put me into the class that I belong you know, and for, for my intelligence level, or I'm going to get myself kicked out of school. Now, they were c- condescending to me. They were like, oh, don't worry. We know you're a good girl. We know you'll behave, blah, blah, blah. I didn't behave. I was I was a little shit, no offense, but it was like <laughs> I got myself kicked out on the third day of school. So basically, um, I, I would sort of sit at home all day. I didn't want to sit at home all day. That's boring, right? So um, the people I was living with were like, okay, you can get babysitting jobs. So I got babysitting jobs and I was still in middle school, so I couldn't drive a car. So I would have to call car services and I'd wait till everyone was at work or at school or wherever they were, call car car services and drive, take rides to the strip mall where there was Barnes and Noble. And so I would buy books and with my babysitting money, bring them home. Yeah, I would like hide them under my mattress. I would put them in the bookshop because you weren't allowed to read, you know, any non-religious literature. had to be religious. Um, speaking of, there's this interesting time in my life where I had English magazines and a cousin of mine found them and ripped them up and I asked him why I was looking forward to reading those and he goes, it's English! English is an evil language! We're only supposed to speak Yiddish, you know, because, yeah, the, the most useless foreign language that they could teach me, they taught me. I'm like, the only place this language is, is going to do me any good whatsoever is like amongst you and your community in Brooklyn. I'm like, you couldn't have taught me like French or something or German you know and so um, I would I would read a lot and I started learning all these new ideas and these new thoughts that people had like um, I always knew evolution as you know oh there are these crazy people outside of our community that think people come from monkeys well when you tell somebody who thinks that they come from God their entire life and then you tell them oh there are these crazy people that think we come from monkeys you think they're crazy because it sounds crazy because no one's ever bothered to explain the entire process to you and so I remember when I, I sort of learned of the entire process I was like wait a minute this week's way more sense to me than the other thing does I'm like that's just this book that says this just a lot of it didn't make much sense to me of course of co- first I didn't want to like let go of my security blanket and so at first I, I took to taking out a lot of books from the library and Wicca and reading that and being like oh you know there's this goddess of this and that and nature and it's to me for to me what was appealing about Wicca um was sort of this idea that gods aren't these supreme beings that are better than all of us, that they have the same sort of problems that we do, that they have the same sort of, you know, fights that we do and issues they have, you know, and then screwed up families or whatever the case is, you know, and so, so that sort of appealed to me because it was like, you know, the gods were both men and women. The gods were, you know, they were also petty and jealous and vindictive and loving and, you know, and so to me that made a lot more sense than the god was all good and all knowing because in the sort of Judaic culture or Judaism there, they say a lot, you know, oh, it happened for a reason. It's all part of God's plan, you know. I'm like, really? It was part of God's plan for all these children to get molested? No, it wasn't part of God's plan, you know, especially considering that you see God is all good. I'm like, a good God would not do that, would not let half of the things that happen in this world that are bad happen, but they happen anyway. To me, it just started, I couldn't reconcile my love of, of sort of science and the scientific method with with my ideas that all these gods existed and that somehow managed to collaborate to create this earth, you know? And so I, I, I realized more and more that it was, it was just a sentimental, emotional thing that I had to let it go.
to where, and then I, I was an atheist, but that was before I even knew the word atheist. Mm-hmm. I just knew, I let go of this idea of gods, and I knew about science, and I knew about evolution, but I didn't know what to call myself. And in, in a way, like, I wish I didn't have to call myself an atheist because, um, you know, there shouldn't have to be a word for not being something, for not being religious. But since we live in a world with religion, and so many different ones at that, you know, there needs to be a word to differentiate people who, you know, don't sort of conform to the majority um, idea of, of, of truth and all that. So it was a relief because, you know, the label atheist meant that I, somebody had taken the, the time to, to coin a term for what I was because... When did you learn you know, that term? There were other where, people. Where, how old were you? I think I was um, probably in between middle school and high school. Maybe like my last year of, of middle school. Or was it in a book, or did you meet someone that was? An I atheist? think um, I think it was. I I'd never met an atheist before. I think my first time I met an atheist was like maybe in my third year in high school. But um, that was. I feel like it was probably on the internet. Um, I, I managed to make a friend who, whose parents had for work, you know, the evil internet <laughs> in their house with a computer. Because for the most part, growing up, we weren't allowed ac- internet access. There was no computers. There was no technology, like nothing. You have you had a phone, and like there are certain phones that have like kosher certification, so you know that they can't connect to the internet. Kosher phones, have you heard of those? I've no? never heard of That's that. That's a thing. That's a thing. There are like certain phones that are branded or stamped kosher phones, and they're basically like these flip phones, and you can only talk and sometimes text with them, but you can't like... There's no internet. You can't connect to the internet. None of that stuff. You're not Are they blessed by a rabbi, too? They're not blessed so much as they're approved. Like, you know, they're just, like, approved, you know? Like, this is kosher. Or the food. A lot of people think the food is blessed by a rabbi. It wasn't blessed. It was approved by the rabbi because he saw it being slaughtered, and he said, oh, this is done in a proper matter. That's a, lot, a large misconception people have. It's not that easy. Oh, I know? totally thought. I thought yeah. it was not only approved by them, that then there was a little, a little oh, no, something they no, did afterwards. No, there's no, like, baptism of the cell phones. I don't think they would work after that. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Um, so I, I learned this word, and I was sort of so excited. I finally had a word to, to describe myself and, and who I was and, and what I thought about the world. But I will say this, um, something that I've run to, into a lot um, as a member of sort of the ex-Hasidic community, because there are a lot of people like me who are not like like ex-Hasidic for the cases, um, a problem I've run into is I feel like there's this sort of lingering sentimentality where even if somebody has completely given up like the idea of any god or or any religion whatsoever they'll still like consider themselves quote-unquote culturally jewish even though they had rejected the hasidic sort of ideology and even the jewish ideology like some of them like stuck to like a sort of apologist liberal sort of view of religion which to me is very hypocritical like and when people try to pull me into their like little emotional oh but you're culturally jewish you're part of this beautiful i'm like the second you said the word beautiful i was out it's not something that i'm a part of or want to be a part of well, because that triggers something in you a little bit. Does that? Yeah, that... it reminds me of, of the <clears throat> mode of thinking that the Hasidic people where I lived sort of had. It was, everything was so emotionally charged, you know, like on the holy days, you know. I used to be, I used to walk through Bar Park or whatever it is in the holy days when the men are coming out with their shawls, you know, from the synagogue and their religious garb. And I almost felt like, like I was being choked it almost felt like a stifling sensation like it felt like PTSD almost I I won't go so far as to label it that but it's kind of felt like a panic attack feeling and I thought this is not logical why are you feeling this this made no sense and so once I thought about it I thought well you know the whole way they governed and ruled you know our little community is through fear fear of hell 
fear of, you know, the outside world, fear of the Nazis, fear of everyone hating us, you know? Um, and so there was a lot of sort of emotions involved in, in how they keep their power, the people keep the power and the community keep the power. And I thought, well, why do you, you know, doesn't these emotions don't make much sense anymore because you're out, you're totally out from under their thumb. And so from then on, I just kind of dropped it. And now, like, there's no guilt. People are like, aren't you guilty? You know, you're not going to... I'm like, why should I be guilty? I have nothing to be guilty about. You know, there's a logical reason I should do it. Mm-hmm. And if somebody is hurt by me not doing it, then, you know, I don't really care because, frankly, their love of me should not be based on whether or not I am, you know, this religion or not. And if it is and they're not a true friend, as, you know, as, as he kind of mentioned, you know. So, Yeah. I want to talk about that fear and like you you both mentioned and like you said earlier your roommate you know you're he's eating why are you eating and he said to you that you can't transcend that fear Mm. was that true did you feel in it because of the out of fear at that point for you personally yeah yeah that's it it was um he was absolutely right but uh the problem is that you don't have any kind of um, analytical knowledge of that fear it's just the way it is. You see, we are cultural constructs. We were, we were subject to um, certain dogma and certain uh, practices. Within these practices, practices you you emerge as a, as a thinking being, and you don't have any kind of analytical relationship with your own with 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 who you are as a as a as a, as a being as an, an individual. You see, so. The, the most important thing is the marriage between religion and power. You very see? important. Yeah, yeah. And this is this is it. Mm-hmm. Freedom is very limited. You see, yeah. mm-hmm. as far as you are a threat, then they they will come to you. You know, if you're going outside the box or thinking outside the box doesn't represent any kind of threat. You see, it's it's fine. You see, you can talk. You can you know. Is there more of a fear from actually from God? <laughs> or from the community around you? Where is the fear coming from? Is there more of a fear of a backlash from the community, like physical harm from the community, or that God will actually strike you down? Well, I feel like in the beginning when I was first dealing with not so much the technical aspects of leaving the community, because there are a lot of technical aspects, you know, like I'm gonna lose all my friends, where am I going to live? You know, my schooling, that's a problem. If you're under 18, for me, that's a problem. But um, where the technical details come in, it's really more other people you fear. But um, when it comes to struggling with the actual faith and the actual religion, it's all really concealed. And so what you think you fear, it's not really necessarily what where the fear is actually coming from, meaning for a long time when I was a small child, I, I, I thought that I was afraid of closing a light on Saturday because I, I was afraid of God and of getting struck down by lightning and that fear, kind of fear was paralyzing. But after a while, I, I realized that, you know, it wasn't so much the fear of God because then I did it. I was like, let me try this. Let me turn off the light and turn it back on. And nothing happened. And so after a while, I realized that the fear was not really a fear of God. It was really a fear I didn't have a fear of God. It was really a fear of the people, the people who were telling me that God will do this, you know? Um, Because what if I tell them I found out that he wouldn't? What if I told them that I had done it and I was fine, you know? And I think if people would realize and acknowledge that so much fear surrounding religion is less fear of God and more fear of people, they would realize it's so much easier to transcend because people are just just people, you know? 
and in you know you can transcend people a big a big point um i want to make about um sort of my experience was how how irritated or angry i am right now about how much this manipulates children in particular just it's a horrible thing to manipulate children through fear you know by telling them they're going to hell they're going to burn they're you know if they do certain things they're evil if they do certain things they're better it's just for me it's it's the emotional manipulation of children before their brains are developed enough you know to and, and before they have enough experience in the world and knowledge to make their own decisions to me is so insidious this this i mean this fear is you grew up you grew up in fear but this fear is hidden it's not transparent it's because of these interactions with with difference a difference here marxists you know everything different there is and little by little and the shock and i really want you i really want to ask you about the shock i mean because the shock is very interesting and the the, the 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 biggest shock the most important shock is when is the this atheist who's my roommate you know that was the shock because that was the first time i see my i see somebody who who breaks the fast in ramadan just like that he doesn't feel any 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 fear i mean any any fear with yeah. with towards god um yeah. i feel like a big thing um about how I left was that I, I did so young and it's very rare for people to start thinking the way that I did when I was that young um, and that's why I feel like a lot of people once they are once they are exposed to sort of different ideas and different ideologies and different thoughts they're already at the age where not only have they sort of accepted the power of religion and power of God that was imposed upon them by other adults they start to become the keepers of it and the passer-ons of that and so when you i feel like when you expose people to different ideas younger and younger in age and different sort of ideologies and, and theologies they're much more i feel like you know open to it i mean to this day i wonder if, if it was just certain circumstances that led me to this or if it was something some way that me being different in terms of how i think because i sort of was behaving in a manner i feel like a child raised in a more liberal environment might behave when i was sort of presented with different ideas Um, and I, I don't know why that is. Um, who knows? Yeah, I find that fascinating what you did. I think it's so ballsy to like, you know, because I was so about, you know, being good and following the rules in a liberal environment. You know, it makes me feel good to do, you know, the quote unquote right thing, you know, and for that, it was like to not be in trouble. The thought of calling a car service, that's amazing to yeah. me. You know, I, I can't imagine. I mean, did you have any friends or anyone that was doing what you were doing when you were? Um, I had some friends and, and early on I had some friends that were also sort of quasi-rebellious like me, but eventually we grew apart because their like rebellion was about rebellion. It was about, oh, I want to watch TV. Oh, I don't want to wear these long skirts. And so as I grew up, it was very important for me to make an obvious differentiation between the kind of rebellion I was leading and the kind of rebellion other people that were leaving um, the Hasidic faith. The Hasidic people have this thing where like they will point to people that left and that like failed to lead you know successful happy you know um, lives and they will say you know oh you shouldn't leave because if you do this will happen to them they're never happy there's no fulfillment in that life there's no you know their, their lives are empty and, and a lot of for a lot of kids unfortunately you know leaving because of hedonistic purposes led them to drugs it led them to you know um dropping out of high school not getting their diplomas all that sort of thing and so i wanted to make a very clear distinction i'm not one of them 
I have reasons behind this. I have goals. I'm going to make it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and from early, like a very early age, one of my main goals was college. I would, anyone who would ask me, I'd say, one day I'm going to go to college. I'm going to go to college, you know, and um, and so that was a big thing for me. And now I'm, I'm actually, you know, t- taking my CT soon and I'm going to go to, you know, apply to colleges and all that stuff. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. And so um, for me, it was very important to sort of make a separation between the two kinds of rebellion, like rebelling without a cause and rebelling with a cause. And so, yeah, that was... I mean, I'm now I'm kind of noticing that a lot of the people that left who were rebels without a cause really did have a cause, which is that I didn't know about it because there's a lot of sexual abuse in the community and a lot of abuse that I, I you know, kind of tried to tune out for a little while, but then I started, you know, really... I knew, I always knew it was happening. I just tried to tune out the fact that it was happening to people wow. I knew. But, yeah, and, and so I sort of kind of at this point was like, well, why isn't it a valid reason? If somebody was, you know molested by a rabbi and the community protected the rabbi why is it not a valid reason to leave you know because the rabbi is supposed to be the har- like the sort of ultimate sort of morality he's supposed mm-hmm. to, he's the best the greatest you know the ultimate good person and if he can do something like that well you know who's to say the whole the whole system is 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 good in the first place and so that's that's a valid reason to start questioning and to start you know saying oh I'm not interested anymore but I didn't see that I was like sort of very I was like I'm objective you know I'm super objective like I have all these intellectual reasons for for leaving and I didn't you know just leave because one bad person you know did something wrong to me you know and so I was very sort of a little angsty holier than now teenager it happens yeah (laughs) (laughs) I think that's natural as a teenager are either of you do either of you feel fear now from those religions no I've transcended the fear you have transcended the fear so there's, there's nothing to fear but fear, fear itself. Unless you might exit, live in a place where you might get your head cut off. Right. But yeah, but yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a a discussion going on in Morocco now. There's a discussion, religious about religion, about everything. So we have the 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 very interesting point in Morocco is that you you won't get you won't get, it's not like in in Saudi Arabia and you won't get yeah you won't get any troubles unless. Unless, for example, you criticize monarchy. Mm-hmm. So, I'm, you know, I'm not doing that. I'm not criticizing monarchy. See? But is, it, is that considered criticism, that you're saying the monarchy is one that you cannot criticize because there will be consequences? And yeah, the system in Morocco the, is very, the political system in Morocco is very complicated. It's liberal and it's conservative at the, at the same time. Poli- the, like the atmosphere now in Morocco is... They want to get rid of Islamists, so they use, they encourage um, criticism and they encourage Marxists and you know Amazigh militants, because because Morocco was bombarded by by uh, by, by Islamists, uh, secret groups you know interacting with people, with, uh, exploiting their illiteracy, mm-hmm. and um, and I was about uh, to mention that I was about to 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 be a victim of that when I was in high school. I have um, I have uh, an uncle uh, who is uh, he was just I, I believe that he was just like uh, a, a victim of <laughs> their of the doctrine as a whole and I used to go with them you see I used to go with them and they said okay we have three days and they have food they have everything we sh- we're going to these villages they don't know what is Islam so we go with the guys <laughs> in the tribes okay and we talk to people 
okay come to the mosque at eight you know we're having a discussion so so we have people come in and then they engage in a kind of very sensitive very emotional you know to the extent that they cry after the, the three days they finish they assign people to go to Casablanca who wants to go to Casablanca who wants to go to Casablanca? Who wants to go to Casablanca for the sake of God, for the sake of God, okay? Mm-hmm. And we, you know, four people and they go to Casablanca and they meet other leaders out there. And, you know, they engage in four, 40 days of Islamic, you know, Islamic uh, doctrine, indoctrination to be Islamists. And then who wants to go to Tur- Turkey? Who wants to go to Turkey? You see? And they assign people to Turkey. And then who wants to go to Afghanistan? To get knowledge for the sake of knowledge and you try when you go to afghanistan when you find yourself in afghanistan oh my brother you have to take it the, and you you see so many moroccans are victims are victimized by through this and they went to afghanistan defined by their cell in the battlefield they have to you have and to also, fight i mean when else would they have a chance to really travel you see so how it works yeah view it as a great opportunity they're like great they help you travel they help you travel yeah. for, for, you don't just come to the village and they say who wants to go to Afghanistan? No, it's a process. Everything is a process. What do you tell people now, like when people uh, to help others transcend the fear? What do you, if you can sum it up in a couple sentences, what would you tell people that are to transcend to transcend fear? Mm-hmm. Is to to travel. This is the first thing, and to read. You need you have to read to read different opinions, and to relax. Okay, to relax and not to think that you, you own the truth with capital T or, and not to claim the last word. Everything is relative and especially do not calculate your relationship with God. Yeah, and so I, what I would say is personally, um, I feel <coughs> like not only I tell people to sort of read, sort of like he said, you know, different ideas and different opinions, um, but for me a large part is leading by more example because um, a problem that I have is that it's a little bit difficult for me to express myself verbally because for so many years I lived with all my ideas in my head and it sounds perfect in your head but then when you have to say it it's like you're a mumbling bumbling mess and you can't you, you just forget all your words so now I just try to show people more you know I show them oh you know this you know I'm happy I'm, I'm accomplishing goals I'm doing things a big part of, of my idea is not to impose myself on other people I'm not gonna go over to someone I know is religious and be like hey you know they're like 20 different other you know ideas in the world of what's right and what's not have you heard them do you want to read them do you want to you know if they have zero interest in even knowing like you're not going to convince them for me a lot of times I get into discussions or arguments with people and I realize that it's really self-indulgent because that person is entering into the conversation willing to considerly you know consider things I say seriously and to take them seriously um, and and that I you know probably was not going to convert to Christianity or Islam. So the point you know there was really no point in getting into the conversation in the first place unless I can learn something, meaning learn about more about the Muslim faith or faith or whatever the case is. But for me, an enjoyable discussion or or conversation or productive conversation happens when both sides are learning things about the other. And if they're not willing to sort of be open to that, then you know why why bother? And if, if people seek out me in a sort of way where it's clear that they're not actually interested in knowledge, it's clear that they want to poke some bones. You know, have you ever experienced people mm-hmm. that way where they're like, hey, I have some questions about atheism. And you can tell that they, they, they don't genuinely want to 
consider ideas as, as being a possibility or or what they even are and they just they just want it as an excuse to push their they idea. They want to question your atheism. Yeah, they want to question, question your atheism, atheism in general. Not atheism. Yeah, and so and so I, I try not to engage in those sorts of conversations anymore. And it's interesting, as I've evolved, the conversations I have are less and less about atheism and, and lack of religion and more about, I've sort of almost moved on to other topics, to different sort of philosophies and ideas of, of, of existence and, and, and morality and things like that, because, you know, the conversation evolves. And, and once you get past the question of what you believe in or what you think is right in terms of religion and what you're going to base your life on, you can, you know, start talking and worrying about other things, you know, which is very freeing. So. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Much. Thank, you. <laughs> thank you again so much for listening to today's episode. Thank you to Mustafa and Celia for telling their stories. If you are interested in submitting your story as part of It's Okay to Go, please email at it's okay to go at gmail.com. You can find other ways to submit on our website, it's okay to go.com. We're on Facebook and Twitter at It's Okay To Go or Instagram search for the hashtag It's Okay To Go. All of our music provided by Jordan Cooper. That's jordancoopermusic.com. My name is Haley Carl and we'll see you next week.